How's everybody doing today? So, got a bunch of election news for you. Uh, we have some good news and we have some bad news. Um, we will dive into that shortly. Um, I also have a terrifying interview on Axios. They spoke to an, a data analyst who's telling us about a, a, a likely scenario for election day. And it should absolutely scare the pants off you. It is beyond terrifying. Um, I don't know why more people aren't talking about this, because if people don't prepare for what's coming, you think now we're dealing with, like, chaos and mayhem? Wait until this potential scenario unfolds in the streets. Trump uh, spoke to Laura Ingram, and he became the ultimate Facebook grandpa which, you know, he is most of the time, but he really took it to another level with this one. Um, Later on, we'll talk about the revelation regarding Trump going to Walter Reed Hospital last year. We have some new updates on that. And Mike Pence is going to do a little old deny, deny, deny move, which makes me think even more that um, (laughs) something happened. So we'll talk about that as well. And new numbers on the percentage of the American people who are terrified of medical bankruptcy. It honestly looks like we're living in a failed state. And we have Herman Cain recently passed away from COVID, and his Twitter account is doing some COVID denialism. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, We'll jump into it with Massachusetts. So Ed Markey has defeated Joe Kennedy for his Massachusetts Senate seat 
Now, this was a, a really interesting race all along. Joe Kennedy, now he was a congressman, or is a congressman, but he ran for Senate. Now he lost running for the Senate, so now he's got no seat. But um, Joe Kennedy jumped in the race to challenge Ed Markey. And the initial polls had Joe Kennedy over 10 points up on Ed Markey. Now, why is that? Oh, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, his last name is Kennedy. He's part of a political dynasty. We're talking about Massachusetts. So it's, you know, it was almost like kind of unsurprising, even though he's not the incumbent. It's like he immediately became the incumbent because that name Kennedy carries a lot of weight now, doesn't it? So it was a a long race, a difficult race. What happened with Ed Markey is absolutely fascinating. He did what is effectively the ultimate face turn. Um, His voting record is really not great. I mean, we have to keep it real about what his past is like. So he actually voted for the Iraq War. He voted for NAFTA. He voted for the Patriot Act. He voted for the crime bill. So this is a guy who has a record that, you know, I would slam. I would rip apart. I think that's abysmal. But what happened is, Relatively recently, he's kind of gone hardcore in the other direction. He's kind of like fully embraced the idea that his past voting record was terrible, and it's almost like he's trying to make up for that. By the way, just so you know, we all like Ro Khanna. There was a time when Ro Khanna had like a very centrist voting record, and he was kind of proudly repping that brand. And then at some point, he had like an enlightenment moment, and he really went big time in the other direction. Well, now Ed Markey, he's most known for in recent years, aggressively pushing for the Green New Deal and signing on to Medicare for All and pushing for that. He's really aligned himself with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in a way that no political advisors in Washington, D.C. would have ever, you know, said to do. So, you know, you can determine on your own whether or not you think Ed Markey's face turn is purely strategic and he's BSing or if he really means it. Um, But without a doubt, there was a face turn. And in the case of Kennedy, I mean, listen, he wasn't around back when the Iraq war vote happened, but my guess is this guy not only would have made all the terrible votes that Ed Markey made in the past, but he also currently doesn't support the Green New Deal or Medicare for all. So, I mean, listen, of the two options, which one was better? I mean, there's no doubt that Ed Markey was better. So Ed Markey won. He kind of won by a large margin. And, you know, front and center was the idea that he's for the Green New Deal. He's for Medicare for All. He, he ran an ad recently which went viral, which was him flipping the famous JFK quote um, around, which is, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. He flipped that and said, it's time to start asking what your country can do for you, which is exactly right. I mean, you pay taxes. You're not paying taxes so that the government can take your money and go do a bunch of corrupt, terrible stuff. I mean, in theory, you're paying taxes so the government can, you know, take care of the basics for you, do the basics, healthcare, education, infrastructure, so on and so forth. So, I, I mean, I agree with what he did flipping that quote. And honestly, now Ed Markey owes the left a debt of gratitude because it was the left that really got him elected here. Sunrise Movement was pushing the hardest for him. 
was pushing the hardest for him because, again, his new thing is he's all in on the Green New Deal, and he's really, you know, pushing hard for it. So that result was good. Listen, there were other results that were not good last night, like, for example, or the other night, I should say, like, for example, Alex Morse losing. Um, Alex Morse was up against a homophobic smear campaign from Richard Neal. Richard Neal is, according to some metrics, literally the worst corporate Democrat in Congress. This is a guy who blocked a bill which would have banned surprise medical billing. That's what he did. He's the number one recipient of corporate PAC money. He's as bad as it gets. And they ran a homophobic smear campaign that's now been unearthed, uncovered as an actual smear campaign. And what happened was Intercept had great reporting on this. You know, Ryan Grimm's done a great job on this. Um, But what happened was, as the record was being corrected and as, you know, groups were apologizing to Alex Morse for falling for the smear campaign, local news did not correct the record. So even though national news and The Intercept and online people understood this was a smear campaign, local news, which is pretty you know, prominent and powerful and impacts congressional races, they did not correct the record. And so Richard Neal is um, he's as bad as it gets, man. No morals, no ethics will go as dirty as possible in order to win. And uh, I feel very bad for Alex Morse, but you know, Morse deserves better than this. And, you know, we thank him for, for running the campaign that he ran. He was a justice Democrat. And if he runs again, eventually he will win. It may sting right now. It may hurt right now. But eventually he will win for sure. Um, now, who knows what Joe Kennedy is going to do? He is, by the way, as vapid as it gets. He is like the quintessential fail son. He's the quintessential, like, third generation, fourth generation dynasty airhead. <laughs> because, and I, I tweeted this the other day, I think it's like a law of nature that the deeper you go in a political dynasty, the more vapid the people become. And, you know, he, like, what does he believe? Nobody knows what he believes. The, the funniest tweet this election season from Joe Kennedy was when he said, nobody should have to face medical bankruptcy in a pandemic without a lawyer by their side. No, the thing you need to say is nobody should face medical bankruptcy. That's it. (laughs) There should be no such thing as medical bankruptcies. That's it. That's the end of it. (laughs) Just say that. That's all you got to say. Nope, he kept going without a lawyer by their side. Again, it's honestly, it's beyond comical. He's a platitude machine. He's a cliche machine. And um, so Ed Markey, apart from the Green New Deal and apart from Medicare for All, he also uh, put front and center that it, some of his accomplishments. For example, affordable Internet to schools and libraries, big thing he pushed for. Raising fuel economy standards for cars and trucks, big thing he pushed for. Raising billions of dollars for Alzheimer's research um, and, and deterring robocalls. Robocalls, I mean, this was – I'm sure you guys get them. Didn't used to get them in the past. Now I feel like they're making a comeback. Um, he said that he's basically been kind of leading a political revolution since the 1980s. This was the argument he made. He was kind of making a Bernie-esque argument. He introduced the nuclear freeze resolution, and he was part of this, this gathering where a bunch of people went to Central Park in New York to demand an end to the nuclear arms race. 
again, this is going back now. He's been in power for, for quite a long time. So why is this a victory? Why is this actually a big win despite his checkered past? Well, let me show you this tweet from Alex Thompson of, of Politico because this really explains it well. Remember, this is Politico. This is as establishment as it gets. He said the following. Markey could be a model for Dem incumbents in blue states and districts wary of 2022 primary challenges. Publicly support Medicare for All, the Green New Deal, and build a policy partnership with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. See that right there? That means we are now effectively doing what the Tea Party did, which made them successful. See, the Tea Party didn't take over the entire Republican Party. They had a little Tea Party caucus. But what happened was all the other Republicans became terrified that they were going to get primaried by a Tea Partier and that they were going to lose. So what did it do? It pushed the Republicans further right. It pushed the establishment Republicans to go, okay, I got, we got, we, I mean, what are we going to do? We've got to concede more. We've got to go more in their direction because they keep winning these primaries. This is the exact same thing now on the left. This is what Justice Democrats has done. This is what DSA has done. This is what Sunrise Movement has done. This is what all these groups have done. They've now made it conventional wisdom in Washington, D.C. that, hey, if you're an establishment Democrat and you don't want to lose, you got to go left. You got to bend the knee to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You got to form a policy partnership with her. You got to pick a handful of issues that you, you can argue, hey, I'm actually a lefty here. And if you don't publicly support Medicare for all, if you don't publicly support a Green New Deal, we're coming for you. And there's a decent chance you're going to lose because now it's a number of corporate Democrats who've been taken out. They have their wins, too, of course, and they also have all the institutional backing and the money. But now we're starting to make it become conventional wisdom. Now even Politico and the establishment are going, oh, boy, at the very least we have to gesture in that direction or we're toast. That's right, especially since, by the way, we're in a pandemic. Tens of millions of people are losing their health insurance. Do you not understand that? Now's the time to support Medicare for all. There's never been a better time. We need it desperately, not just from a policy perspective, but now from a strategic perspective, people are starting to realize it. Democrats are starting to realize it. So now we're doing what the Tea Party did. We're dragging them to our position. We're making them bend to our will by having some prominent victories. By the way, listen, I can't stress this enough. Beto O'Rourke came out of the woodwork to endorse Joe Kennedy, by the way, pathetic. They're basically the same person. They believe in nothing. They're totally vapid, empty shells of people, boring-ass white dudes. Um, But Nancy Pelosi, who does this whole tap dance of, like, primaries are a bad thing. We need to support incumbents. What does she do? She supports a primary against an incumbent. The person primarying the incumbent is more corporate. So now, okay, you want to play this game? All bets are off. Now every, and I've been telling the left this for the longest time. You cannot play nice with them. They don't like you. They'll stab you in the back immediately. You're not going to out political maneuver Nancy Pelosi from inside. The way you win is flexing. The way you win is the outside inside game. The way you win is by taking the people who are on your side and leveraging them. You can make life a living hell for democratic leadership. Why? Because you've got people who actually follow you and believe in what you say. You could flood their office with phone calls at any given time to try to force them to do your bidding. And if they cross you, call it out again. Call it out again. 
you have to use the power of the people. You have to do it. That's all you have. So now all bets are off. And now every lefty politician should endorse other lefty politicians and not, you know, bite your tongue because I might step on the toes of Democratic leadership. They're letting you know they don't like you. They'll endorse against you. It's asymmetrical warfare. You have to fight back. You have to use every advantage that you can get. And now, again, we're seeing if Pelosi comes out, endorses Kennedy, gets embarrassed, as she did, well, now you know you're up against a group of people and an ideology and a movement that can win. So there's, there's a lot of there are symbolic victories here. And there's a sea change going on. And, you know, we need to recognize that and use every advantage we can get. So this was good. Obviously, the Morse result wasn't great. Um, there were some other, you know, results as well throughout all of Massachusetts. But if Morse runs again at some point, he's going to win. And we got a big W on the board here. So let's keep fighting moving forward because we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. But clearly there's hope. And clearly they're getting scared. Okay, next. Okay, this story, my reaction to it is probably going to be unacceptable. (laughs) My reaction to it is probably going to be impolite. But, I mean, i got to keep it real with you guys. This is what I do. So, Business Insider says the following. President Donald Trump told Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a former White House press secretary, to go to North Korea and take, quote, one for the team after Kim Jong-un appeared to wink at her She said in a new memoir, according to The Guardian, Sanders said that during a summit between Trump and Kim in Singapore in 2018, Kim nodded and appeared to wink at me. Well, Sarah, well, Sarah, that settles it. You're going to North Korea and taking one for the team, Trump told her. Sanders said, quote, your husband and kids will miss you, but you'll be a hero to your country. (laughs) Kim and Trump have since enjoyed a warm relationship with Trump saying at a rally in September 2018, they fell in love. So it's been funny watching the reaction to this, because I feel like everybody who's in, uh, you know, my left-wing circle kind of had a similar reaction. But then everybody who's part of, like, the more Democratic Party-aligned left, if you will, if you can even call them left, they have a very different reaction. And their reaction is, you want to take a guess? How dare you go and say sexual harassment is what this is, yes. They're playing the offended card. Uh, offended. Offended. What he did is bad. This is bad. This is inappropriate. Unacceptable. Beneath the office. That's my favorite one that they always try it out all the time. When Trump does anything, they say, beneath the office. I mean, listen, he's... Donald Trump, yes, of course. It's almost like by definition everything he does is beneath, beneath the office. He's a ridiculous human being. But that doesn't really have the sting as a critique as you think it does. They think that's like, you know, a Trump card, no pun intended. Sir, were you aware this is beneath the office? 
What a weak criticism. Okay, so uh, if you can't tell, what's my overall takeaway on this? I, I couldn't care less. <laughs> this is the funniest thing Trump has done all week. It's probably in the top five or ten funniest things he's said all time. Um, yeah, this is called a joke. It's called a joke. Of course, you're going to have people who are still going to come out and be like, but it involves a brutal dictator. Oh, my God. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's funny. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's maybe it's a New York thing. Because, you know, Trump is from New York. And uh, maybe we maybe we have an affinity for, like, inappropriate kind of jokes. But I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Of course he okay. was he serious? I highly doubt Donald Trump was like I mean, come on, right? You know what I'm saying? Take one for the team. I tweeted earlier that <laughs> I will only take I will only I'll only give him a handy. That's as far as I'm willing to go. He's not getting the mouth. He's not getting anything else. Imagine that brought us peace. Imagine that brought us peace. Maybe they should have done it. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, this is a joke, man. I don't. I actually think it's hilarious. I think it's kind of funny. Um, I do think that she, she like, signaled to them. It was Trump and, and, and Kelly who were making the jokes, and I think she signaled to them, like, I'm uncomfortable with this or whatever, and then they kept kind of going with it, which, okay, if you want to say that that goes a little bit too far, sure. But listen, when you're... <laughs> Sometimes you read the room wrong, man. Sometimes you read the room wrong. I've done it. I'm sure you guys have done it where you do like a little bit of an edgy joke and it just doesn't land because it's maybe a little too edgy for the crowd. I mean, granted, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' father is, is Mike Huckabee. I mean, that is quite possibly the most uber-Christian right-wing household on the planet. So, you know, fart humor is, is too edgy for them. Like, I get it, but... I'm sure he's just shooting from the hip like he always does, and he's got no filter, and he's talking shit. This, like, I feel like so many of the stories on these ancillary issues that try to own Trump actually make him look a hell of a lot more relatable. Like, if you focus on the terrible – like, there's a story that we're covering later where Trump rolled back the rules for um, coal plants, and so now you're going to have toxic water for over a million people in the country with, like, arsenic in it and mercury and all types of terrible stuff. Like, if you talk about that and focus on that, he literally comes away looking like the worst man on the planet. And I have nothing but disdain and hatred for him because that's just evil. Like, what he's doing is serving industry because he's corrupt, and the results of that are people are going to get sick, and it's going to save the industry hundreds of millions of dollars, literally. Like, that's why he's doing it, because he's corrupt, he's listening to the industry, and if you happen to get sick from drinking... Poisoned water, well, so be it. That's evil, man. If you talk about stuff like that, man, I'll lead the charge going after him. If you're going to, you know, clutch your pearls over, like, kind of funny jokes, ain't that little meatball boy? Little meatball boy. (laughs) Kim Jong-un, the little meatball, that guy. I mean, come on. That guy doesn't have sex. (laughs) Sex is not a thing that he's with a little nub dick. Come on, man. Get out of here. <laughs> okay. May, I'm crossing some lines now, too. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I'm not offended by this. If you are offended by this, I think you're being a little ridiculous. Um, he was joking around, and yes, even the President of the United States is allowed to joke around. And um, 
the only time I would actually care about this is if he wound up being serious. <laughs> if he's like, no, no, you don't get it. You're going to go sleep with Kim Jong-un. That's, okay, 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 dude, you got to reel it in. This is going way too far. You can't, you're the president of the United States. You can't, like, casually prostitute people in your cabinet. That's not how this works. What's next? You're going to send Pence off to be with Angela Merkel? <laughs> is that what you're going to do? The awkward stuff they would do behind closed doors. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. That's like, uh, what was the famous thing with Pence? He says, like, he's not allowed to be around other women or something. Like, he's never allowed to be alone with other women. <laughs> Nothing like that Christian repression, huh? He probably, like, nuts in his pants instantly when he's around other women by himself. Uh, God damn it. Why is this? This is quickly becoming the grossest secular talk segment of all time. I don't even know what I'm babbling about anymore. I'm not offended by this. Sorry if you are. I, I really don't think it's a big deal. It's actually one of the funniest Trump stories that I've read in a long time. <laughs> All right, next. Time to be scared. You're about to become really, really, really scared. Here we go. I'm going to show you an interview here. This is from Axios. Now, they're talking to a data analyst who worked for Mike Bloomberg. And they're going to talk about a scenario that's, I don't even know if it's just a potential scenario or if it's a likely scenario on election day. But either way, if what they're saying comes true, this is honestly one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life. I think that the reaction to what they're describing might literally rip the fabric of this country apart. Now, I get it. You know, stupid people in media always say hyperbolic things like that. And um, it's grating after a while, and they're childish. And usually when they say it, nothing comes to fruition. Guys, I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. Now, again, the source, you could say, hey, this source is sketchy because it's like a, you know, it's like a a data um, analysis group that does work for corporate Democrats. And so, you know, if you want to question the motivations as to why they're talking about this, fair enough. You know, uh, let's, let's hope that they're wrong in what they say here. I really hope that they're wrong. But I just want to give you what is a potential, if not likely, scenario on Election Day and the week after. Buckle up for this, man. Watch. A mirage, by definition, is something that appears to be there, but that doesn't really exist. And you have a model scenario called the Red Mirage. What does that mean? The reason we talk about a red mirage is, in fact, because we believe that on election night we are going to see Donald Trump in a stronger position than the reality actually is. We are sounding an alarm and saying that this is a very real possibility, that the data is going to show on election night an incredible victory for Donald Trump. That is likely to be what we see when every legitimate vote is tallied 
and we get to that final day, which will be Sunday after Election Day, it will, in fact, show that what happened on Election Night was exactly that, a mirage. It looked like Donald Trump was in the lead. And he fundamentally was not when every ballot is just counted. You have a result on election night where it appears that Donald Trump has won, but a result after ballots are counted that show that Joe Biden has actually won. That's right. Let's get an obvious question out of the way first. Um, Hawkfish is a company that's started by Michael Bloomberg that does work for the DNC, that's doing work for pro-Biden super PACs. If I'm a Republican voter, an independent voter, a skeptical Democrat, why should I listen to you? One of the things that we believe is that facts matter. It's not about um, disinformation or misinformation or using fear as a tactic. There are objective truths in this world today. And how do you build your modeling? How are you basing your projections? We essentially built a simulator where it's a sequence of sliders, and you just pull those sliders to start seeing what the scenarios will show you. What's it going to look like on election night? What's it going to look like the day after, and the day after that, and the day after that? In most every year, Democrats are more likely to vote by mail than Republicans, and that has only increased this cycle. We see in the data that twice as many voters intend to cast a ballot by mail than have ever before. They are disproportionately Joe Biden's supporters. There are absolutely some ballots that were mailed in that get counted sooner because folks were proactive and got it in as soon as they possibly could or dropped it off or showed up to uh, a polling station uh, where where early votes allowed. But it's going to take a while. It might be weeks. Because absentee ballots inevitably are harder and slower to count, we are going to find ourselves that when you have those prototypical uh, cable news uh, talking head moments of saying, well, you know, here's what we're seeing and this is what it looks like, it's going to show Donald Trump in the lead in a lot of key places on election night when in-person reporting has occurred. What about California or New York? California is blue. New York is blue, right? Some of the, like, but Virginia is a really good example of a state that should be blue that turns out red. In this on election day. On election day. Okay. So a state like Pennsylvania, Florida, it's in play by just a couple points. And that's what tips it in one direction or another. If you were to essentially average battleground state polling, Joe Biden appears to be hit by about 8%. And so if you have a, a number of ballot challenges in a state like that, as big as it is, as large as the population is, as diverse as the population is, it can make a really big difference over those next 10 days. And so when you start accounting for that in your modeling, you see that 8% lead and it whittles out a little, a little bit more, a little bit more. We might have the results saying something on the evening of November 3rd that it will not say the evening of November 10th. What difference does it make if um, the results seem to show something on one night and then several days later the results show something else? Won't the facts just bear themselves out? I think that's the America we all wish we probably lived in. I think you know, we've got the Trump team who's, who's quite intelligent and sees what's coming. And so we have the president messaging through, through tweets, through what he said at his rallies and speeches. This notion of any change from that result on election night, he is signaling they will say means fraud has entered the equation. Wow. 
I really hope that what they're describing there does not happen. I really, really, really hope that that doesn't happen. I was a kid when the 2000 election happened, and I remember in like the week after it when you had this, it was up in the air as to who won the election, and you had this scandal over Florida because of how they were counting the ballots, and there was this this big thing about, okay, do you count the dimpled chads, the hanging chads? Because back then it was almost like, you know, the way they, that you voted, you would like pull a lever and it would punch through a, a hole to show who you voted for. And like sometimes the dimple would only come off halfway or it would just be, you know, pushed in a little bit, but not fully out. And so there were different potential ways of counting the vote, depending on what you include and what you don't include. And then, of course, there was the scandal with the Supreme Court and the Florida courts. And, guys, it was a mess. But here's the thing. Back in the year 2000, we were significantly less partisan than we are today. We were still partisan, but not nearly as bad like the hyper-partisanship going on in this country today. So if you have a situation where on election night, It looks like, man, Trump did really, really, really well. He's up in all these states. He's going to go out there and and claim victory and mentally say, "It's, it's over, it's done, I did it. And then as more votes roll in, Biden makes up that difference. Because this happens, just so everybody understands, this happens on a state by state basis too, where the way that they count the votes, sometimes the votes come in from certain places which are more favorable to one of the candidates. So it could look like one of these candidates opens up a sizable lead, and then once all the votes are counted and the other areas come in, the other areas could be more favorable to the other candidate, and then they end up winning by a comfortable margin. Actually, in a way, this just happened recently with the way the votes were were rolling in with Ed Markey and Joe Kennedy. For a minute, Joe Kennedy was up by a point or two with like 7% of the vote being counted or whatever it was. But then as soon as the, you know, the pro-Markey area started rolling in, he opened up a giant lead. But if you didn't know the way in which the votes were rolling in, it could, lo- it could almost look like a comeback victory for Ed Markey. What they're talking about here is a situation where Trump would be up big on election day, and then like as the days go by and more of the votes get counted, the mail-in votes get counted, then Joe Biden would take the lead. Donald Trump is already acting like, Mail-in votes equal fraud. Mail-in votes equal fraud. They're illegitimate. We shouldn't have it. He, say, he says this on a regular basis, trying to, to delegitimize the election results. And then if it unfolds exactly like they're describing here, oh, my God, what a historic mess. And, guys, we're watching it, this approach us in slow motion. Like, we know on some level that this is probably what's going to happen. And then what do we do when Donald Trump and the 35%, 40% of the country that is, like, super pro-Trump when they all think that the establishment is stealing it from Donald Trump. What happens? What the hell happens? Jesus Christ. There's no way Trump is going to accept that. There's no way. And guys, we have some degree of experience with this, right? Like, remember the chaos that was the Iowa caucus where Bernie won the popular vote, but like, state delegate elects or whatever, somehow went to Pete, and then there were questions about the app, which was partially funded by Pete's campaign, and he declared victory. I know how I felt in that situation as a Bernie supporter when they actually were trying to take it from us. 
Imagine how Trump and all Trump supporters are going to feel when it looks like they won in a landslide on election night. Now listen, as time goes by and more votes roll in for Biden, it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion that Biden's going to win the popular vote. It's just a, by a matter, the question is by how many votes. On election night, it might even look like Trump won the popular vote. I really do fear what's going to happen. I swear to you guys, I really do. I mean, we're already seeing complete social unrest tied to a variety of issues, police brutality. You know, what happens in a situation like this, man? The country's already on the brink of falling apart. I wish I had something positive to give you guys right now. Like, oh, I don't think it'll happen this way. I kind of do. I kind of do, because the numbers speak for themselves. If, if the mail-in votes are overwhelmingly Democratic, and it takes longer to count the mail-in votes, I mean, honestly, the best-case scenario then that you could hope for is that it looks like Biden wins on election night, and then he just wins by even more when they count it. Or the other way, oh, it looks like Trump won, and then Trump still ends up winning. Like, anything where it switches is going to lead to utter chaos. And then, like they said, do you think that the media is expecting this and knows that this is a likely scenario? I don't think they have any idea. So you'll have all the pundits doing their punditry on the night of, and it'll be all, oh, my God, Trump pulled it off again. This is just like 2016 with Hillary Clinton. I mean, I've been joking around on this show quite a bit. You guys have heard me do it, where I say stuff like, going to look into the Bahamas, try to get citizenship in the Bahamas. I don't know how much longer those will be jokes for, bro. (laughs) I don't know how much longer those are jokes, because things are really bad. And this would be, I don't know if the country can handle this. All right, time to make fun of Joe. The Biden campaign is doing some youth voter outreach. Biden campaign launches official Animal Crossing New Horizons yard signs. It's the campaign's latest foray into online organizing. Very clear, how do you do, fellow kids? moment. And it's also a very clear, you guys like Pokemon Go. I would like you to Pokemon Go to the polls. Remember that? She delivered it in a speech and did like the awkward pause waiting for the laugh from the audience. I would like you to Pokemon Go to the polls. This is, this is their moment like that. That's what this is. How do you do, fellow kids? Do you like the video games? Maybe we shall release an Atari game. Maybe Joe Biden will play Nintendo 64 with you. Do you think Joe Biden even knows what this is? No, of course he doesn't. I don't even know what this is. You think Joe Biden knows what this is? You think Joe Biden knows this game? He doesn't know this game. It's all, like, it's so cynical. I'm sorry, it's so cynical. They really believe 
they really believe that the way to reach out to young people is through cultural signaling. So they try to be like, I have similar tastes to you. I am in agreement with you on these ancillary issues and entertainment questions. But nobody actually cares when it comes to politicians and ancillary issues and entertainment stuff and cultural stuff. You know what people want? They want to have their student loan debt erased. That's what young people want. They don't want medical debt. That's what young people want. They want paid vacation time by law. That's what they want. They want their job protected. They want to end the wars. This is what young people want. This is what all the polls show, that young people are care deeply about policy and they have strong opinions on it, left-wing opinions on it. So the way you appeal to young people is not to be pedantic and condescending and placate us. I mean, this is the ultimate, like, tap on the head, like, mm, okay, run along now. Let the adults continue to sell out to corporations, please. Man, I'd rather have them do nothing than do stuff like this. I really would, because this is insulting. It's insulting. How many times have I said this? But in 2016, a lot of people felt like, you know what? Okay, I'll do the lesser evil vote thing. But I'm doing it thinking that it will be the last time I'll ever have to do something like this. That was the sense I got from a lot of people who sucked it up and did the lesser evil vote. They thought, like, I hate this. I might cry if I vote for Hillary. But I'll suck it up and do it because... The next time I have to vote in one of these things, I'll make sure I never, I'm never in this position again and I don't have to do another lesser, lesser evil vote. We're literally right back in a similar position to what we were in in 2016. And I keep saying it, they're, they're determined to make it as difficult as possible for young left-wingers to suck it up and vote for Biden. They really are. The DNC is another great example of this. They put front and center Republican speakers from the 1996 Republican convention. I mean, they're basically announcing to the world the Democratic Party is the 1996 Republican Party, which gets back to my joke about how we don't have a Democratic Party in this country. We have a Republican Party and a Diet Republican Party. They're proudly the Diet Republican Party. Given that, that when it comes to policy and governing, that's where they are, how do they appeal to young people and how do they appeal to the base of the left? It's easy. Stuff like this. You do stuff like this and you virtue signal. You, 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 know, you say stuff like, we're going to have the most diverse um, cabinet. But then you look at the specifics, and it's going to be packed with corporate lobbyists. We covered the story the other day about how corporate lobbyists were trying to say, oh, you're bigoted if you want corporate lobbyists out of the Biden administration. Why? Why does that make you a bigot? Because a lot of corporate lobbyists are people of color, so I guess you hate people of color because you don't want corporate lobbyists in the administration. This is stuff they actually argued, man. I showed you the Hill R- article on it, excuse me. This is all they have. They're going to govern in a neoliberal corporate way. That's where their policies are. So how do they try to appeal to the left? They can't do it on policy. So just virtue signal all day long and try to reach out culturally with stuff like this. I'll say it again. I'd rather them do nothing than do stuff like this because this is beyond insulting.
All right. Trump is the ultimate Facebook grandpa. Let me set this up for you. So President Trump did an interview with Laura Ingram where he morphed into the Facebook grandpa. And Biden, well, Biden is, I, I don't even like to mention Biden because he's not controlling anything. Who, who do you he's think is pulling Biden's strings? Uh, is it former Obama? People that you've never heard of. People that are in the dark shadows. People that... Oh, what does that mean? That sounds like conspiracy theory. Dark shadows. No, that? people that you haven't heard of. They're, they're people that are on the streets. They're people that are controlling the streets. We had somebody get on a plane from a certain city this weekend. And in the plane, it was almost completely loaded with with thugs wearing these dark uniforms, black uniforms with gear and this and that. They're, they're on a plane. Where's the worst? I'll tell you sometime, but I, I, it's under investigation right now. But they came from a certain city, and this person was coming to the Republican National Convention. And there were like seven people on the plane like this person, and then a lot of people were on the plane to do big damage. They were coming from Planning for Washington. Yeah, this was all... This is all happening. But and the money is coming from somewhere. The money is coming when, from, how can it be from some very stupid rich people that have no idea that if their thing ever succeeded, which it won't, they will be thrown to the wolves like you've never seen before. Okay, there's a lot to say about this. Um, what he's talking about originated in a viral Facebook post, and it's fake news. It's not real. Talking about how Antifa is sending people around the country, you know, in groups to small town America. That's what this is. And again, originated in a viral uh, Facebook post that totally bogus. It's not true. They, he really is acting like there was Antifa Airlines. And the idea that even the idea that they're highly organized and coordinated. Man, I got news for you. The left is never like that. Ever. Ever. I wish. I wish the left was like that. We're not. The left is so disorganized, so scatterbrained. And he even says there, like, who funds it? Oh, it's a bunch of rich people who are funding it. When you look at all the things happening in the streets, you really think that's like all of them are on George Soros' payroll? Is that what you think? I got a bridge to sell you if you believe that, man. It Beyond ridiculous. Is it really that hard to believe that there's an organic uprising happening? When you have a new video every other week of cops killing somebody... That tends to lead to unrest. And then listen, on top of all that, people are not doing well mentally and psychologically. We, we have polling data that proves this. People are not doing well. Now, you could speculate as to why that is. COVID, the economic shutdowns, the fact that we have 20% actual unemployment. You know, that, that's a big thing. The fact that people are taking wage cuts. People don't have health care. 50% fear going bankrupt for medical bills. Like, whatever the reason, and there are many reasons, yes, people are organically going out in the street. You could agree or disagree with what they're doing, why they're doing it, so on and so forth, but it's happening. But they have to try to make it seem like it's all AstroTurf and it's all Antifa. 
And the reason they do this is so that they can dismiss it all. You can dismiss it all as like fringe, crazy, lunatic lefties who are terrorists, who we need not concern ourselves with why they're out there. So really, they fundamentally and effectively change the conversation. That's what they do. They change the conversation. They shift it. And they end up coming up with conspiracy theories and only saying 80,000 times over, rioting bad, looting bad, rioting bad, looting bad. And, of course, the Democrats follow them right down that path. Right down that path. Biden did it in a speech the other day. She totally gave, 100% went with the right wing framing on it. Isn't it amazing we've gotten to a point where people could be out there in the streets and we could have serious social unrest and there's pretty much no conversation about the roots of it and why it happened, how it happened, what the solutions would be? Now we get none of that. We get nothing but moralizing and finger-wagging at them them all day, and we get Trump acting like Antifa is all funded by George Soros, and, you know, they're highly organized, they're taking a plane, they're all wearing their their black clothes. Again, this is the Facebook grandpa. This is a guy who reads a right-wing meme and immediately thinks it's correct and would argue with you if you say, that's not exactly right. This is who's running the country. A viral Facebook post, which was fake news, convinced the United States of America, and now he's out there casually talking about it, as if there's Antifa Airlines, as if they're so organized, as if they, like, you know, they're, they're in, in some underground lair looking at the map of the United States and, and pinpointing where they're going to go next. Where are we going to go in small-town America? What Republican cities are we going to go to next in order to cause chaos? <laughs> Or maybe that's not happening, they're not organized, the uprisings are organic, agree or disagree with them, and maybe cops should stop killing people. And maybe you should start cutting some more stimulus checks and do universal basic income. You know, you want to quell the unrest? Is that what you want to do? Immediately do comprehensive police reform, free every nonviolent drug offender, legalize recreational marijuana, and start fixing the economy for regular people. I'm telling you, if you do stuff like that, yes, you'll start seeing these uprisings dwindle. But if you don't do that, it's only going to lead to more and more unrest, and it ain't going to stop. And it doesn't matter how much you want to blame it on George Soros or Antifa Airlines, it ain't going to go away. Okay, now we're going to talk about a new Donald Trump record, which you're probably going to enjoy. President Trump set a new record. There's a record that, you know, I feel like he's done this time and time again previously, but I don't know if it's ever happened in this small a time frame. So... Here he is talking about Mayor Bill de Blasio and and Andrew Cuomo, and he just totally contradicts himself, like, one sentence after the next, and I'm astonished by it. I had to show you. 
you, you seem to have a good working relationship with Andrew Cuomo during the COVID, at the height of the COVID um, uh, pandemic. I gave him more than he asked for, and all they are is nasty. But now he's, yeah, but now he's coming after you saying it's your mismanagement that's gotten us into this mess. Yeah. And well, so what do you, what do you, how the do you, good news, he hasn't gotten very far with that because people understand. He killed 11,000 people with bad decisions on nursing homes. He's the number one state in the country by far for death. I mean, probably in the whole world for death. You take New York out of the equation, I think we have among the best numbers anyway, but you take New York, we have the best numbers in the world, countrywide. No, Andrew uh, said I did an incredible job. Andrew said everything that he asked for. As an example, they wanted the ship, I got him the ship. They wanted the Javits Center, I got him the Javits Center. Did you catch it? At the beginning, he says, I gave them more than they asked for, and all they are is nasty. And then fast forward 20 seconds, he says, Andrew said I did an incredible job, and I gave them everything they asked for. (laughs) You just said that all they are are nasty, and then you said that they gave you tremendous credit. Which is it, dude? Which is it? See, I feel like this is really solid evidence for my theory on Trump, which is that, man, I've had this argument with Corin many times. Man, this, he's not some sort of grand chess master who knows what he's doing when he says stuff. The guy is pure impulse. He's pure id. It's whatever he's feeling in that moment, he's going to fire it off. He's going to contradict himself a thousand times. He's going to make no sense. Sometimes he'll sound like he's... Right wing, sometimes it'll sound like he's left wing. He'll just say whatever's in his mind at that moment. But ultimately, it comes to naught because he doesn't believe any of it, and he's a path of least resistance guy, which means wherever the establishment is pushing him is where he'll end up going because it's the path of least resistance since he has no real convictions. But, like, this is just such a good example of the way his mind works. He really seamlessly goes from, I gave them more than they asked for, and oh, they are as nasty, to, now Andrew said I did an incredible job, and I gave them everything they wanted. <laughs> he said I did an incredible job. He's so nasty all the time. But really, he says I did an incredible job. What? Which is it? Oh, my God. And I have to, you know, I can't continue on in this segment without pointing out the obvious, which is Trump says, oh, We have the best numbers anywhere in the world if you remove New York. Okay, you can't... That's not the way it works, bro. You can't just remove New York. (laughs) What a ridiculous thought experiment. If you change the nature of the United States of America, then the United States of America is doing wonderful. But, like, that's not even true, by the way. He's right that Andrew Cuomo was an abysmal failure. But so is he. Trump is an abysmal failure as well. They always, you know, the one thing they always point to is, we blocked travel from China very early on. It was called xenophobic, but we did the right thing, and we saved so many lives. No, because by the time you blocked travel from China, the virus was already spreading here colossally. It was everywhere. People were sick. People were dying. Like, you can't, do you not understand the way it works? It's not like you can only contract the virus from somebody who is from Wuhan or was in Wuhan. That's not the way it works. The virus was already here and spreading. 
So when you stop travel from China, if the virus is already here and spreading, you're not saving Dickie McGee's axe. Oh, my God, he's such a dunce. He's such a dunce. But no, if you take New York out, we still have horrendous numbers. If you put New York in, we still have horrendous numbers. Because, yes, Andrew Cuomo failed, but so did Donald Trump. So did Mike Pence. So did the United States of America. Other developed countries fared way, way better than we did. Guys, just something as simple as I always use the Japan example. Basically, they had limited economic shutdowns. They never went as far as we did, but they had universal masks, and they had way fewer people die. Even when you, you, know, you, you adjust the numbers to do an apples-to-apples comparison, they did way better than we did. We got, what, over 180,000 people dying now? It's like us, Brazil, and India doing worst in the world, and he's out there doing a victory lap. Come on, man. And notice the whole conversation is always framed through, how are people treating me? How is Andrew Cuomo? He's being very unfair to me. He's being very unfair. He's totally nasty. And he loves me. And he said I did an incredible job. And he's a wonderful guy. (laughs) Oh, the mind of a child, man. The mind of a child. I'm so tired, bro. I really am. Yes, Andrew Cuomo did a terrible job. Bill de Blasio did a terrible job. So did Donald Trump. There's nothing you could say or do that can hide that. But he tries. Just brazenly, best numbers anywhere. I loved watching Mike Pence's speech at the RNC. When he was trying, he basically was arguing that, like, COVID-19 is already defeated. He's like, we did the largest mobilization since World War II in this country. How'd that work out? 180,000 dead Americans. By the way, their main thing that they keep focusing on now is um, the protests, the rioting, and the looting. That's the main thing that they're focusing on now. What's the death count from that? I'm not saying that to be flippant. There is a death count. Some people have died. But what's the death count with the civil unrest versus COVID-19? And why are you not looking at it in a more proportional manner where more of your, your focus and your effort and your attention goes to the thing that's actually killing a tremendous number of Americans? It's because they think politically it's more of a winner for them to pivot to the riots and the looting and the protests. Politically, he thinks, oh, this will, because I'll say, you're going to be safe in Donald Trump's America. You're not going to be safe in Joe Biden's America. Really? Seems to me like you're very unsafe in Donald Trump's America. Not just from, like, the rioting and the looting and stuff, but more importantly from COVID, where 180,000 Americans are dead and rising. So that's the opposite of safe. But he can't talk about that honestly. He can't talk about that openly. He failed on that front. So now it's deflect and obfuscate and pivot to other issues as he says silly stuff like this. Okay. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, Mike Pence. Oh, this is such a great story. Mike Pence was asked about an emergency trip that Trump took to the hospital. What follows is incredible. Stay right there.
a bitch, y'all. I'm back. And we're going to talk about Trump's sketchy-ass hospital visit. This story is something else. We covered it at the time, but now we have more information. I don't know how many of you remember this story, but about a year ago, we covered on this show that President Trump was rushed to the hospital. He went to Walter Reed in the middle of the day, and they broke protocol by having Trump's doctor in the car with him as they went to Walter Reed. And um, not many outlets picked up the story. There were just a few um, lefty print outlets online that ran with the story. And, but we covered it here. I thought there was just enough information where it sounded credible where I should talk about it on the show, and I did. And, you know, we speculated. I mean, obviously, if you're rushing to the hospital and you're breaking protocol and your doctor's with you, that something happened. Something happened where they felt like it was necessary because there's also a lot of, like, medical stuff in the White House. Only, like, the most severe things can't be handled in the White House. So something happened. They weren't open about it. Afterwards, Trump said something along the lines of, just competing, completing a portion of my physical, that's it, just a portion of my yearly physical, as if you do it, you know, in portions. You don't. Physical doesn't work like that. So it was sketchy. Well, now this story came back up because a new book is released, and in the book, sources close to the White House said there indeed was a medical emergency, and it was so bad that they had Pence on standby if Trump had to go under general anesthesia. Pence was on standby to be sworn in to be president while Trump was under general anesthesia. Whoa. So, on Fox News of all outlets, uh, Brett Baer asked Mike Pence about this incident. Look at how uncomfortable Pence is, and look at how... I mean, he's almost certainly lying with the stuff he says because of how careful he is with his words. Watch. Another thing. The president tweeted out today, it never ends. Now they're trying to say your favorite president, me, went to Walter Reed Medical Center having suffered a series of many strokes. Never happened to this candidate. Fake news. Perhaps they're referring to another candidate from another party. This refers to Michael Schmidt's book where he says the president went to Walter Reed, which in fact happened in November of last year. He says in the book that you were put on alert to take control, to take office essentially, if he went under for anesthesia. Is that true? Um, President Donald Trump is in excellent health, and uh, Brett, I'm always informed of the president's movements, and uh, uh, whether it was on that day or any other day, uh, I'm, I'm informed. But there was no, there was nothing out of the ordinary about that moment or or that day, and I, I just refer any other questions to the White House physician. But as far as being on standby, I, I don't I don't recall being told to be on standby. I I was informed that the president had a doctor's appointment, and uh, uh, I'm. I don't want to say I'm a stay, I, but I just want to. Yeah, I got to. I got to tell you, and part of this job is you're always on standby. It's your vice president of the United States, um, but uh, the American people can be confident that uh, uh, this president is in remarkable good health, and uh, uh, every single day I see that energy and high relief. 
I saw a number of people on social media say, you know, I had no idea about this and I didn't really think about it. But now with Trump vehemently denying it and Pence answering the way he answered right there, now I'm convinced something happened. Because that was weird, bro. He could not give a straight answer. None of that was a straight answer. By the way, when Trump tweeted, now they're trying to say your favorite president had a series of mini strokes, fake news. No, I didn't see anybody. Now, maybe I missed it, to be fair, but I didn't see any outlets or anybody argue that Trump had, quote, mini-strokes. What I saw was people saying the Pence standby thing. That's what I saw. That's what I heard. That's what's in the book. In the book, they say that Pence was on standby to be sworn in. That was the news. That was the news. And then Trump chimes in and says, it's fake news. I never had mini-strokes. But nope. nobody said that. Nobody said that. By the way, I didn't even know mini-stroke was a thing. Is that a thing? Like, I know, you know, strokes can vary in how serious they are, but mini-stroke? I'm not saying anything else, man. I'm just pointing out that the story was Pence had to be on standby to be sworn in. I didn't see anybody mention mini-strokes until Trump mentioned it. Now, let's go through his answer. Um, I like when he's asked, well, is it true that you were on standby? His response is, Trump is in excellent health. You didn't answer the question. That didn't answer the question. Were you on standby to be sworn in because he had something medical that had to get done? Trump is in excellent health. That's a dodge. You just dodged. You just dodged. He could be in excellent health now. What was going on back then? Um, quote, he says, quote, I'm always informed about the president's movements. And I, I refer any further questions to the White House physician. You're telling me that something didn't go on. It sounds for sure like something went on. And then the way he said, quote, I don't recall being told to be on standby. Like he's... He, <laughs> He phrased it like a question. I don't recall. Oh, you don't recall. Okay. That's not the same thing as saying, no, I wasn't told to be on standby. And then he goes on to say, you know, in this job, you're always on standby. Okay, something happened. I mean, come on. Something definitely happened, bro. Something happened. Something happened. And in Trump's mind, he doesn't want it to get out because he thinks, like, oh, that makes you look weak if you have some sort of, like, medical condition, some medical issue happened. Imagine that, the mindset of that, like, that's such a childish way of viewing stuff, isn't it? I mean, FDR was in a wheelchair and was one of the best presidents in U.S. history. He's in a wheelchair. See, in Trump's mind, it's about the optics. And he actually said, I mean, I think it was in his book, Art of the Deal, he talks about this. He talks about how people want to believe in something bigger than them. They want to be, to, to think that there's something that's, greater than them, better than them, above them, like superhuman in a way. And I think he tries to like fulfill that role for some people. So he doesn't, he would never come out with something like this because he thinks it portrays him as weak to ha- if you had some sort of medical issue or whatever. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so anyway, do I think something happened? Yes. Do I know what it, what it is? Of course I don't. I have no idea what it is. Um, but I do hope we get all the facts at some point. 
but you never know. They might hide it, or they might give us seven different potential events that happen, and then we're just stuck permanently in limbo as to what exactly happened. But, man, to be a fly on the wall there. If anybody is in the White House inner circle, <laughs> let me know what happened. I'm very curious. Okay. All right, now we're going to talk about Joe Biden taking the bait, baby. Joe Biden taking the bait, baby. Joe Biden, about the civil unrest that's currently happening in the country, he's been under attack by the Republicans, by Trump and Pence on this issue. Uh, They're basically arguing he's like pro-riot or pro-looting, which is beyond ridiculous. But anyway, Joe took the bait and he said the following. violence of looting and burning and destruction of property. I want to make it absolutely clear, something very clear about all of this. Rioting is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Setting fires is not protesting. None of this is protesting. It's lawlessness, plain and simple. And those who do it should be prosecuted. Violence will not bring change. It will only bring destruction. It's wrong in every way. It divides instead of unites. Destroys businesses, only hurts the working families that serve the community. It makes things worse across the board, not better. No, it's not what uh, Dr. King or John Lewis taught. Ask yourself, do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really? Nobody who's not already voting for Trump thought Joe Biden was pro-rioting and pro-looting. In fact, I'd argue most of the people who are voting for Trump deep down know that, of course, Joe Biden is not pro-rioting and pro-looting. That is beyond obvious. It is comical that we're even having this conversation. So why legitimize it? This is what's called breathing life into a smear. And I'm stunned at how little Joe Biden's staffers know. His strategists are abysmal, and his political instincts are terrible. Because, I mean, honestly, guys, this is like 101 stuff here. And it all goes back Richard Nixon, perfect example. I'm not a crook. The fact that he said that made people go, is he a crook? Why is he, why is he saying that? So for Joe Biden to go out there and be like, I'm against riots and looting, it's bad. People are going to go, I knew knew that, but now are you for rioting and looting? Because why do you have to say it? You're breathing life into the smear. You're having the debate and the conversation on their terms. I, I think this is a mistake, man. Now, listen. Go watch the rest of the speech, because I, I genuinely believe that there are parts of the rest of the speech that are pretty good, actually. So I don't want to, I'm not, I'm showing you the part that I took issue with, because I want to explain to you why I think it's wrong. 
I'm not trying to like play hide the ball with the other parts of the speech where there actually were some decent lines in the other part of the speech and you can go watch and you can judge for yourself. Okay. Make your own mind up about that. I thought some of it was good, but this is bad. This is bad. I would have never, I would have never entertained this. Uh, I would have waited until I'm in a debate with, with Trump. And when Trump says something along those lines about, you know, how I think, I think he's for rioting and looting basically be like, I think you're the biggest fucking idiot on the planet and you're a dumbass and that makes no sense. <laughs> like, I would be so dismissive of that notion. So dismissive of that notion. But no, he, he does a speech where the whole point of the speech, and just so you know how much they wanted to put an onus on this part, they're now running ads that have this part in it. The part where he's like, I'm against rioting and looting. Sweet Jesus, man. Sweet Jesus. So you're giving, you're giving in to the law and order framework. Now what he could have done and what he should have done is you change the dynamic. You flip the dynamic. You go out there and say, people are in the streets of Donald Trump's America right now. You want to know why they're in the streets of Donald Trump's America? Because there's a lot of innocent people who have been killed by the state. That's a problem we need to fix. That's a problem I'm going to fix. That's a problem I'm going to work on until we have it solved. Also, people are out there because, I don't know if you noticed, we still have a pandemic that's killing people, and we have effectively a depression with 20% real unemployment. Donald Trump owns COVID-19, the pandemic, and he owns the depression. And he has the nerve to brag about the stock market as working people are taking pay cuts everywhere you look. So you flip the conversation. You flip it back to your strengths. What are your strengths? Everything else. Your strength is, oh, my God, there's a pandemic. There's a depression. There's unrest in the streets. And to be fair to him, he does, make this, he does say this at one point. He's like, I love when they show videos of, Donald Trump's America, and they blame me for it. That is Donald Trump's America. That's a good line. But really, honestly, I, just, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have done this because this is just giving into their framework. Just remove this part. Keep the rest of the speech the same. The other part I would get rid of is he does, of course, because they can't help themselves. He did some Russia-gating. The Russian bounty is in Trump is being subservient to Vladimir Putin. Oh, my God, shut the hell up. Remove all that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Remove this, and the rest of the speech I would keep the same. Go on the offense. Go on the offense. Trump is a failure. Trump is a mess. Trump is abysmal. 180,000 deaths from COVID. 180,000. Yeah, you don't have to legitimize it. You don't have to give in to their framework. Nobody thought you were pro-rioting and looting, but now the more you talk about it, the more some people are going to go, why is he even talking about this? Is he pro-rioting and looting? So stop. Give it a rest. Drop it. It's over. It's over. No more of this. They, got, they don't even believe it when they're arguing it. How many times do I have to tell you guys this? They don't even believe it. Right. The guy who wrote the crime bill is too soft on crime. He's too hard on crime. <laughs> He's too hard on nonviolent offenses. That was the problem with Joe Biden. And by the way, when Trump, Trump at, at times will point out the crime bill as if it's a bad thing, and that's a perfect opportunity for Joe to be like, Don, which is it? Half the time you say I'm too soft on crime, half the time you say I'm too hard on crime. That makes no sense like your entire presidency, dipshit. So go on the offense. That's what you do. But, you know, most importantly, more often than that, stay in the basement. <laughs> stay in the basement as much as possible. Only come out for the debates, pop some Adderall, some Seroquel, and you'll be good to go. But no reason to give into their framing like this like he's constantly done now.
Okay. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the state of American healthcare, which, as you can imagine, is consistently getting worse and worse. Gallup is out with a new poll highlighting our failed healthcare system. 50% in U.S. fear bankruptcy due to major health event. 50%, guys. 50%. Here's some more numbers from it. So they say half in the U.S. Now, it used to be 45% in 2019. They increased by five percentage points. They're concerned about health-related bankruptcy. 15%, including 20% of non-white adults, have long-term medical debt defined as debt that it would take over a year to pay off. 15% already have long-term medical debt. And just so you know, medical bills is one of the top causes of bankruptcy in this country. Um, Lowering drug prices is a key voting issue for 35% of adults. And 26% report that they would need to borrow money to pay a $500 medical bill. A quarter of the country we need to borrow money to pay a $500 medical bill. We've gone over previous numbers. You guys already know. Before COVID, I believe the exact number was 78% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck. So, listen, the, the top line number here, 50% in the U.S. fear bankruptcy due to a major health event. 50%. In other developed countries, that is, Zero percent. Fifty percent. So over 150 million Americans fear medical bankruptcy. Over 150 million in Canada. Nobody does. In Norway, nobody does. In Iceland, in Sweden, in the UK, in France, in Australia, nobody does. In Japan, nobody does. Nobody does. Nobody fears medical bankruptcy. Medical bankruptcy is not a thing that exists in those countries. When you get sick, you get help, and it's free, paid for by your taxes. Here, when we pay taxes, our money goes towards bailing out corporations in Wall Street and endless wars. That's what our money goes towards. In other developed countries, you, you pay money in taxes, and you get health care. And if you get sick, you go to the hospital. doesn't matter how much it costs. You walk out, and you don't pay a penny. You could have, in theory, you could have a surgery that costs $150,000, and you walk out of there without paying a single penny. One of the themes of this show, if you've been watching it for a long time, you already know this. I'm really trying to shine a light on how, I, I don't think Americans even realize how much the system is screwing them. Like how abysmal and how pathetic the screwing is. And if people, like, uh, listen, you've got to blame the media, too, and you've got to blame the education system. Because the job of the education system and the job of the media should be to inform you, to educate you, to give you the relevant facts and information. If you were given the relevant facts and information, you would know we're the only developed country that doesn't have, for example, paid vacation time by law. 
We don't have any paid vacation time by law in this country. Other countries, you know, it, it varies depending on where you go, but you can get 30 days paid vacation time by law every year. It's almost like you get a summer vacation as an adult every year. Wouldn't you like that? You would, wouldn't you? Another one, paid maternity leave. We're one of the only countries on the planet that doesn't have paid maternity leave. And the list goes on and on. I mean, the clearest example is universal health care. We don't have universal health care. We don't have single payer. It's not all funded by tax money. And as a result of that, you're getting screwed in a way that is a slap in the face and is so over the top and brazen that when people in other countries hear about how bad you have it, they feel bad for you. They do. They can't believe how much the system is screwing you. We've played that video before on air here. I think it was in the UK where they were telling people, how much do you think it costs in America for, and then fill in the blank with whatever health-related thing, taking an ambulance after you break your arm, uh, having a baby, so on and so forth. Every, the reaction of all of them was like, stop it. Stop. It costs that much? Because people even afford that. You have to be rich to even have a kid in this country. Are you insane? This is another fact like that, guys. The whole concept of medical bankruptcies does not exist throughout the developed world. It exists here in the United States of America. And 50% of the population lives in fear that they'll go bankrupt due to a medical event. 50%. By the way, we all end up needing medical care at one point or another in our lives. It's inevitable. It's a fact of life because we all have an expiration date. We slowly break down in a variety of ways. So we all got to go. It's a guarantee that you're going to have to go to the hospital. So we're all on borrowed time to going in massive amounts of debt because of health. Even if you take care of yourself in, in the most amazing ways, at some point, your body's going to break down. You're going to have to go to the hospital for something. 50%. Fear bankruptcy due to a major health event. Listen, look at that fact and also think about what we've been doing recently. $5 trillion in the CARES Act, which largely went towards giant corporations. A trillion dollars in quantitative easing per day from the Fed. Effectively socializing the marketplace. That's what we spend our tax money on. A multi-trillion dollar you know, F-35-2 program. So we wanted a, a newer, better warplane that we desperately don't need. Spent over a trillion dollars on it. And by the way, for a while, it couldn't even fly. It couldn't even get off the ground. It was a colossal mess up. That's, that's where our tax money's going, man. That is where our tax money's going. We could pool our resources with taxes and redirect all that money to health care, to education, to paid time off by law. If that was the case, I genuinely believe Americans would feel fine paying their taxes. If anything, you feel like it's patriotic duty. If you know, hey, this money's going for health care and education and paid vacation time and make sure that hungry kids get food by the way, 30 million Americans are food insecure at the moment because of the economy and COVID. 30 million. 30 million. 32% couldn't pay their rent a couple months ago. 
those real problems are ignored. And business as usual continues. They're going to keep giving subsidies, welfare checks to ExxonMobil, to other corporations, to Wall Street. The corrupt politicians will continue serving big pharma and the for-profit health insurance companies and the military-industrial complex, and you get screwed. And we get numbers like this. Listen, any politician who's not for Medicare for All, you need to be relentless. You need to be vicious. You need to take no crap and relentlessly push our agenda, the left agenda, because it's the people's agenda. Over 60% of the country now wants Medicare for All. Why? Because we're in a pandemic and tens of millions of people don't have health insurance, and yet 50% of the country is afraid of medical bankruptcy. So don't take any half-assed nonsense. Force them to do our bidding. Force them. Because this is beyond unacceptable. And shame on the media for not talking about it. You have to come to a YouTube show to listen to a loudmouth like me talk about this. Why? Credit to Gallup for doing, this, for doing this poll. Credit to anybody who talks about it and pumps it out there. But it's a shame. This should be like big breaking news on CNN, on MSNBC, on Fox News. They will completely ignore it. Completely. And they'll pawn off. When somebody does have a medical bankruptcy, what do they do? They pawn off. They poverty shame. Uh, I guess you should have worked harder. Uh, I guess you should have been a better person. Uh, I guess you should have climbed that corporate ladder a little more effectively. They try to make poverty an individual failing. It's not an individual failing. With numbers like this, it is clearly systemic. And systemic problems need to be fixed at the societal level. It can't be fixed at an individual level. This is unacceptable. I don't know how else to say, man. This is unacceptable. This number is out of this world. It's pathetic. We have to fight to change this. We have to do it now. We have to apply as much pressure as humanly possible to get all these politicians in favor of Medicare for All and to pass it. Because if we don't, the the death, the destruction, the pain that's out there is already immense, and it's going to get way worse. Okay. story is hilarious to me, and I absolutely had to show you. President Trump on Tuesday reiterated his call for both candidates to take a drug test ahead of the presidential debates this month, claiming without evidence, without evidence, that Democratic nominee Joe Biden is on some kind of an enhancement. He's on some kind of an enhancement, in my opinion, Trump told Laura Ingram on Fox News, and I say we should both, I should take a drug test. So should he, because we don't want to have a situation where a guy's taking some kind of, it's like athletes, Ingram asked, oh, so she said that, it's like athletes, Ingram asked, seeking clarity on what Trump was alleging, no, 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 I want to take one, Trump said, I'll take one, he'll take one, we should both take a drug test. The president built his, his claim around the idea that Biden had dramatically improved his debate performance before his one-on-one debate with Senator Bernie Sanders in March. Okay, yeah, listen, man, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Biden did very well in that debate, and not in terms of the substance, because when you actually fact-checked him, he was just horrendous. But in terms of how people perceived him, yes, he appeared to be 
with it, there, sharp, smart, you know, quick on his feet. And you go back and you look at, you know, like, um, what was it, 2012, Joe Biden, when he debated Paul Ryan, Joe Biden ran circles around Paul Ryan. And Paul Ryan was the person who was viewed by the media and the establishment as like, oh, what an intellectual on the right. He's an Ayn Rand acolyte, and he's so smart, he's a numbers man. Well, he's actually not that smart. And Joe Biden, old Scranton Joe Biden, ran circles around him and did a really good job. And I'm not kidding. Go back and watch that debate if you haven't. It's very interesting. You see a fully with it Joe Biden. So, yeah, his debate with Bernie, he was good. And, you know, I said it way before Trump said it. I said, yeah, I think he's on something. Now, I don't know exactly what Joe is on, but if I had to guess, some form of an upper like Adderall, um, or if, if, if his mental condition is really, really, really bad, he's on some sort of, you know, antipsychotic or something like Seroquel, which will kind of bring him down to earth for a certain amount of time, um, or some other substance that I'm totally unaware of. So, but do I think he's on something? Yeah, I do. Now, here's the really interesting part of this story. Don, you also take stuff. You do. I'm, I'm very convinced of it in the case of Trump. Now, what exactly does Trump take? Again, that's a more difficult question. Um, I do not know exactly what he takes. I do know that um, there's been many instances of evidence of drug use from him. For example, his pupils. Anybody who knows drugs will know that when you're on certain substances, your pupils either get bigger or they get smaller. Trump has had you know, certain substances that it, it would, the signs of being on an upper are there. There's a classic example of the previous debates against Hillary Clinton, where he was doing the old sniffer, man, all throughout the whole, de- he was doing that throughout the whole debate, throughout the whole debate. And anybody who's used Coke will tell you that's part of what happens if you're snorting Coke. If you're snorting anything, though, that would happen. So I don't know if it was Coke or not, but he, he was snorting like crazy. Um, the other thing is you look at examples of when he gave his CPAC speech, he was bouncing off the walls. He had so much energy, like double or triple the energy he would normally have. But, and you go look at the speech he gave at the UN, polar opposite, looks like he's coming down from being high previously, where he's like half asleep. I'll never forget he couldn't get through the word sovereignty. He was so tired. He said, like, hysterica sovereign. And then he just moved on from it and kept going. Couldn't say sovereignty. Sovereign. So, I've, I, listen, I've seen plenty when it comes to Trump. I, I think I've seen plenty when it comes to Biden in terms of how much his performance changes. So here's my take on it. I want to see the debate, but I want them both on drugs, which is probably what would have happened anyway. But I don't know why Trump is asking for drug tests. If anything, I want drug tests so that we can verify they're both on it. And if anything, give them a little bit of extra drugs, because that'll be more fun. That'll be more entertaining. That will, I mean, come on, we got to be honest here. That will be more entertaining. Now, some people might say, hey, since Trump is calling for drug tests, isn't that evidence that he's not on things normally? No, not buying it, because one of the uppers that there was speculation that Trump would take is there's a, a particular version of Sudafed and the UK version of Sudafed has the ingredient, which is an upper, which gives people high. And then there was a US version that did not have that, that ingredient. 
And Trump, in that famous picture from uh, the Trump Tower in his office, where he's eating like a taco bowl and saying, like, I love Mexicans or whatever it is he's had, um, you look in the background, a drawer is open, and you see a bunch, like, a, like he stockpiled that UK version of Sudafed, which, again, functions as an upper. So, but point is, if he's on that drug, if you do a drug test, they're not checking for whatever the hell the upper is in Sudafed, you know? So he probably thinks, oh, I could take a drug test, and this drug won't show up in the results, because, what, I'll just turn around and say, oh, I had a cold, I took some Sudafed. That's it. Even if he gets caught, he would say that, but he probably won't even get caught, because that's not a drug that they're necessarily looking for. So he probably thinks, oh, I'll get away with it, but Biden you know, whatever he's on, it'll show up. But the funny thing is, honestly, I think with Biden, he might be in a position where he could just be like, no, I'm prescribed this. Like if he takes Seroquel, he could just be like, hey man, I'm prescribed this. I had an aneurysm X number of years ago. And so I've always been on Seroquel since then. So even though it's a performance enhancer, it's necessary. It is what it is. So there's, the point is, there's ways around it, even if they do the drug test. And I don't want to see them both sober going back and forth. That would be massively boring. I would love to see them both high as a kite, bouncing ideas off each other, going back and forth, going at each other's throat. I mean, listen, it, it just fits too well with 2020. 2020 is a train wreck. It's without a doubt the worst year in my lifetime that I've ever seen for the world. Definitely. I think everybody else kind of agrees. You have tragedy happening at the national level, but even people in their in their in their own lives, in their personal lives, in their private lives. People are just having, having a rough go of it this year, man. And what we deserve is Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, where they're both high as a kite and making no sense yelling at each other. Okay. Should we make fun of Herman Cain? I think we should. Now, he passed away, so we can't be too harsh. But um, this story is really something else. Herman Cain recently passed away from COVID, complications from COVID. And um, listen, there's, there's a decent chance he caught it while at a Trump rally. I'm not trying to say that as some sort of like gotcha to Trump or the right. I'm just saying the timeline works perfectly where there's pictures of him at a Trump rally sitting there. um, And then it was like a week later or two weeks later, something like that. He was in the hospital because of COVID. So, I mean, is it possible he caught it somewhere else? I guess. But we know for sure that he was in an enclosed place with a lot of people around him at a Trump rally, and then soon thereafter, he was in the hospital with COVID. So, he passed away. You would think that would give the right some pause. The Republican leadership, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because there is a strain of COVID denialism happening on the right, and it is so weird. Like, I get it. You love Trump. You want to act like everything's perfect because Trump's in power. I get it. But, I mean... Pandemic denialism, pandemic denialism. There's a lot of dead people, man. 
There's a lot of dead people out there. You cannot overlook that. My guess is if it was Barack Obama in charge and 180,000 people died from a pandemic, they would have a very different take on it. But Herman Cain, after he passed away, an interesting thing happened where, like a week later or something, his Twitter account tweeted something. And myself and many other people were like, what is going on here? Well, of course, it's, you know, like his family and people he was politically involved with. And so now they run the account. They tweeted just the other day some COVID-19 denialism on Herman Cain's Twitter account, the Cain Gang, as it's now called. They said, it looks like the virus is not as deadly as the mainstream media first made it out to be. And then it says underneath, CDC now says 94% of COVID deaths had an underlying condition. He died from COVID-19. And his Twitter account is now saying, not as deadly as the mainstream media made it out to be. I'm seriously amazed that they're really, they think their interpretation of this fact is so bizarre. Because, listen, I suck at math, so I'm not even going to bother to try to do it in my head here. But over 180,000 people are dead. What is 6% of 180,000 people? And by the way, just so you know, that's the official number. I'm sure the real number is higher because it always is the case with pandemics. Where Whatever the official number is, there's many more for the real number. And there were studies that, you know, I, I forget what the exact number was, but like 20% more than the normal amount of deaths that we would have in the time frame of COVID. So you could probably add that to the COVID death rate. They just didn't know that it was COVID and they died from COVID. But like 6% of 180,000, that is, whatever that number is, that's people who had no underlying condition who got COVID and died. That's still pretty deadly. That's still pretty deadly. And beyond that, what does that even mean? Underlying condition. What does that even mean? I don't know if you know this, but people have all sites of medical conditions, whether it's high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, diabetes, some sort of chronic illness. I mean, almost everybody has something, right? A very large number of people have something underlying. Now, it could be varying degrees of seriousness, but if you're telling me that, hey, 94% of COVID deaths, people have underlying condition, whether it's that stuff or they're old, for example, I say there's still 180,000 people dead. Those people count. They count. If you have some sort of minor, you know, condition and you get a cold, it ain't going to kill you. You have a minor under, underlying condition and you get COVID, you might die. The other thing is, and we've, there's been a lot of reporting on this, but blood types are apparently a big thing. COVID affects people with certain blood types way worse than it affects people with other blood types. So there's a lot going on with this illness that we don't know. But what we do know is at least the official number is over 180,000 deaths and they're downplaying it. Imagine 180,000 people died from a terror attack, from a terror attack. What would their reaction be in that scenario? I think they'd think it's serious. Imagine 180,000 people died in riots and looting across the country. Oh, my God. We'd be in an authoritarian police state immediately, immediately. But 180,000 from a pandemic, and you really have this strain of COVID denialism, which is so bizarre. By the way, he went on to also say, they tweeted this from his, his Twitter account, the summer 
second wave really hasn't come close to the original spike, and it isn't showing signs it will. See, this is how you know. They're just looking for stuff to suit their narrative because there hasn't even been a second wave. This is all still part of the first wave. Any expert will tell you that. Trying to make it sound like this is a second wave. This isn't a second wave. It never went away. It never went away. So they don't even know what they're, ta- they don't even know what they're talking about. And, of course, they're going to you know, misinterpret and misrepresent findings on this to try to paint the rosiest picture possible, even though Herman Cain himself died from COVID. Now, did he have some sort of underlying condition? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it killed him, and that matters. <laughs> I, don't, I disagree massively with Herman Cain politically. Did I want to see him die in a pandemic? No. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody die in a pandemic. These people are amazing. They're amazing. I don't know how we got to the place where it's not just that everything is political, because literally everything is political, so it makes sense to talk about everything as if it's political, but everything is partisan, which to me is the most insufferable, unbearable state of affairs ever, because people cannot help themselves. They have to put on their partisan goggles when they analyze anything, and it makes them look childish. It makes them look silly. It makes them look dumb to the point where they could lack so much self-awareness that you're tweeting from a guy's account who died of COVID that maybe COVID isn't as deadly as the mainstream media is saying. Okay. All right, now... I'm going to tell you about what the Trump administration is doing in regards to the EPA. The Trump administration is continuing their insane agenda of endless deregulation. The EPA is easing restrictions on lead, mercury, and other toxic discharges from coal plants into waterways easing restrictions on lead, mercury, and other toxic discharges from coal plants in the waterways. Arsenic's another one. They have a list of them that they go through um, in the article. Now, let me give you some more information on this. The Environmental Protection Agency regulation scaled back the types of wastewater treatment technologies that utilities must install to protect rivers and other waterways. It also pushed back compliance dates and exempted some power plants from taking any action at all. How's this for a loophole? So they say, if, if you're going to shut down the coal plant before 2028, the year 2028, you're exempt from all regulations on this. Okay, they're not magically somehow more clean because they're shutting down in a few years, that doesn't make them more clean. The water can still become toxic. The regulation doesn't even make sense. And you know what it really is? It's a giant loophole, which makes it so that any company can say, oh, we're planning on shutting by 2026 or 2027. And then they just don't do that. They could just not do that. But they're in like a total, they have complete, Freedom from all these regulations 
if they say, oh, we're shutting down before 2028. I mean, this is the way it works under Republican administrations is that they try to appoint people to be the head of regulatory agencies where they view their job as to not regulate the not regulate the industries. So they're put in this position specifically to tie the hands of the regulators and have them do nothing because this is the philosophy. This is the ideology. It's the Ayn Rand approach. It's anarcho-capitalism. They think any and all regulations are um, burdensome and a restriction on liberty and freedom. So just tie the hands of the regulatory bodies and let the industry do whatever they want. And they have these cockamamie theories about how, oh, the, the free market will always end up with the best results. The, the corporations will always do the right thing because it's in their best interest to do the right thing. And listen, I mean, evidence proves that's just not true at all. I mean, how many cases have we seen, particularly when it comes to externalities like environmental destruction? I mean, you had companies that used to dump toxic chemicals in the Hudson River because it's cheaper to just dump it in the Hudson River than dispose of it in a clean, safe way. You need a regulation to force them to do that. And now we have such a, you know, this is a similar example. So some more information on this. It's going to save the industry, the coal industry, 140 to $480 million. And it will also endanger the water of 1.1 million Americans. 1.1 million. Also, the industry could save a couple hundred million dollars. The regulations, when they were in place, stopped about 1.4 billion pounds of toxic metals and other pollutants from pouring into rivers and streams. So there, it, there's not a question. This was good for communities that are near these coal plants. It was good for them. People could drink the water and not have to worry about getting heavy metal poisoning. He's rolling it back. They're rolling it back. This is what they do, man. This is what they do. And this is what, like, guys, there are some issues where Democrats and Republicans are far too similar. This is actually one of those rare issues where there's no, there's no comparison. Like, these regulations were Obama-era regulations. He wanted to regulate that industry and effectively did. Trump is going in the other direction. So this is a rare instance where the Democrats are just flat out totally better in every way on this. They just don't take the kind of donations from the coal industry as, you know, Trump and the Republicans do. And so they're willing to regulate them and actually help people out by giving them clean water. Like, there is an extra layer of evil with some of the things the Republicans do. Like, the, the deregulation mindset can be so absurd, so absurd that this ends up happening. And, of course, you're not going to hear much talk about this, guys. You're really not. You're going to hear about it on this show. Credit to the New York Times for covering it. There might be some other articles about it, print outlets. Again, I don't think that this is one of those issues that's sexy enough 
for MSNBC or CNN or the nightly news to really cover in detail. I think they'd much rather focus on... Now, I'm not hating on this because I talk about it too, but like the scandal where Trump was joking around and said to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, like, take one for the team uh, by spending a night with Kim Jong-un. Like, like they're going to focus on that because that's like salacious. And so they'll talk about that nonstop. Or they'll do another, you know, the 917th bullshit Russiagate story. They'll do that too. But this stuff, this is like, this is the dry governing regulatory conversation, which they think is an assumption on the part of the media, oh, that won't get us good ratings, that's not sexy enough. Little did they know, man, there's a there's definitely a giant chunk of Americans that this is what they want the news to cover. This is the important stuff. This is as important as it gets. 1.1 million Americans with unsafe drinking water because you deregulated the industry because you're in bed with them and have taken contributions from them. I mean, that's corruption. That's corruption that's built into the system. That's the way it works. It's unacceptable. And they'll just gloss right over it. They just won't talk about it. And by the way, even though the Democrats are better in terms of governing on this front, do I think that they're going to put an issue like this front and center for election season? No. And I don't know why. I don't know why. This is actually, this is a really powerful thing to point out and would really help you if you're showing how much they don't care about people and they care about the industry because they're bought by them. But they're not. They're not going to talk about this in the way that they should. So here we are. Again, you got to come to a loudmouth, annoying YouTube post to blabber about this stuff. You shouldn't have to come to me to get important news like this. He's done a lot of this kind of stuff, this kind of insane deregulation since he's become president. He's going to keep doing more the rest of the time he's in office. And if he gets another four years, Jesus Christ. I mean, there already are no cops on the beat when it comes to Wall Street, for example. Like, he destroyed the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Destroyed it. He's, they'll let Wall Street get away with whatever. They're openly committing fraud. Imagine that on steroids and human growth hormone and, like, just no regulations anywhere. There is no regulatory body in this country anymore because that's their ultimate goal. And they're working on it, and they're getting there. Okay. Let me take a quick break, and then when we come back, I still got some amazing stuff to finish with you guys. Um, I got to give you an update on the vaccine situation. This is really something else. And then I got to finish by telling you what's going on with the intelligence agencies and how they're trying to, they're trying to shut you up from ever discussing Joe Biden's mental state. It's crazy. Stay right there. We'll be right back.
right, y'all, we back. We are back in this bitch. We are back in this bitch, and um, I want to go to the Russia one first, but I'm not. I'm going to, I got to get the vaccine one out of the way, because it is also very, 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 it's a very crucial story. It shows you how much we've isolated ourselves from the world. President Trump has really taken isolationism to a comical degree with this next story. The United States will not join a global effort led by the World Health Organization to develop, manufacture, and distribute a vaccine against the coronavirus, the White House said Tuesday. The decision represents a gamble by the Trump administration one that could threaten to leave the country behind if the first viable vaccine candidate is developed by another country. Almost every nation in the world is participating in initial talks on the joint COVAX project involving the World Health Organization, the European Union, Germany, Japan, and several major non-governmental organizations. The project, announced by the World Health Organization earlier this year, would distribute an eventual vaccine candidate to countries around the world based on the number of high-risk residents in each nation. We're opting out of that. We're saying, no, we're good. We'll do it on our own. So one of the things I've talked about on this show for a long time is that I try to make a distinction between non-interventionism and isolationism. I said, I do not describe myself as an isolationist. I do describe myself as a non-interventionist. Why? Because non-interventionism is limited to foreign policy when it comes to militarism. So, like, I don't want to wage any offensive wars. You know, I only want to use the military for self-defense of the nation. That's non-interventionism. Isolationism, I always thought that had a pejorative connotation to it. Why? Because it sounds like you're saying, I'm talking about beyond just militarism. I'm talking about isolating ourselves from the world in a variety of ways that actually will end up biting us in the ass. And that's exactly what this is. Like, why, why on earth would you opt out of a coronavirus vaccine global project? That, that seems like either comically stupid or evil or a mix. It, honestly, is it because, you know, you want, if you develop the vaccine, if a U.S. company develops the vaccine, or if the U.S. government does, you want to make sure that big pharma can get their cut. And so you can't, you know, sign on to, hey, we'll distribute it everywhere and we'll do it based on need. See, that's the thing. The U.S. doesn't like doing that. We like doing it based on um, whoever the rich people are can get it first and everybody else can get the crumbs. That's the way we do it. But other countries are saying, hey, we should really distribute this thing based on need, based on who needs it the most, who has the most high risk, uh, populations, and we probably took one look at that, and we were like, nope, not going to do that. See, this is genuinely isolating us from the world in a way that only has negative consequences. And, you know, it's short-sighted. It makes everybody else dislike us, and it also could screw over the population because it's very likely that some other country will develop it first. I mean, hey, maybe we will, but if we do it, it's just because we've cut so many corners in terms of the process through which you approve a vaccine. So who knows if ours will even be efficient and effective. 
Um, but it's more likely that the rest of the world, somebody in the rest of the world gets it done. Because it's every other country versus us, and now we've needlessly been pitted against them? Oh, God damn it, man. I would love to know what they think is the main reason behind closed doors. What's the main reason why you're doing this? Because whatever it is, I guarantee you it's not sufficient. I guarantee you it's unacceptable. And, um, you know, in many ways, American exceptionalism when it comes to this issue is true. We have been exceptionally bad. Like when you look at the worst in the world, it's been us, India, and Brazil in terms of the coronavirus. So American exceptionalism, yes, but in a negative way. And I, I have a bad feeling that that might be the same thing that happens here. And even if we do develop it first, and even if it works and all that stuff, the amount of goodwill that you just blew by telling the rest of the world to piss off on this front, that's going to come back to bite you in the ass, man. It really is. This, this like international bully role that we've taken on is just guaranteeing that diplomacy is more difficult and that when we need other people, they're definitely not going to be there for us. Okay. All right. Final story of the day, y'all. Russiagate is back with a vengeance. So everybody's aware of Russiagate and how they really went low with it, man. I mean, the claims had gotten so absurd, so ridiculous, and still a lot of Democrats believed it. And it broke my heart to see people I love and respect kind of go, go down that rabbit hole. Well, now they're back. The Russia Gators are back. And what this story proves is there's not, there's not a single issue where they will not trot this out to try to deflect and obfuscate from something real. So here's the new line. Uh, guess what we can blame on Russia now? The Department of Homeland Security withheld publication of an intelligence memo warning in, that law enforcement of a Russian scheme to promote misinformation about Joe Biden's mental health. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right, Jeff. So in the last few minutes, a DHS spokesman has confirmed to me the existence of this intelligence report that was prepared in July by DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis that looked at Russia's propensity to create a narrative raising questions about the health of both candidates, but particularly Democrat Joe Biden. And that's been part of a Trump campaign strategy to do that as well. There have been ads, there have been Twitter commentary, raising questions about Biden's health and his mental capacity. What DHS says is that they are sitting on this report because top officials did not believe it met quality standards. It basically, it wasn't well-sourced, well-founded, a good report. Obviously, that is a claim that needs to be tested. Um, there is some reporting out there that suggests otherwise, and in fact, that the DHS analysts found with high confidence that this was going on. Um, so we'll have to dig into that some more. But it's it could be seen as another example of the Trump administration sitting on intelligence that speaks to what Russia is doing to interfere in the 2020 election. And that's a subject we know for a fact that Donald Trump has no interest in exploring, Jeff. So what they're trying to do is say it's a Russian scheme. 
scheme to question Joe Biden's mental health. That's what they're saying. That it's, it's these Russian bots and it's a concerted effort to question Joe Biden's mental health. And the story was, I, by the way, I love how they do this. They say, hey, the Department of Homeland Security held back a memo on this. And they held it back because there's no evidence. But the Department of Homeland Security held, held back a memo on this. And then they report it anyway to get the same effect. The same effect is supposed to be, ah, see, Russia's trying to tank Joe Biden by talking about his mental health. It's all a Russian plot, literal Russian propaganda. So now you can't talk about that lest you be viewed as a Russian bot and doing propaganda for Vladimir Putin. You see how they pollute the discourse? They pollute it by declaring certain topics are out of bounds because we've declared they're out of bounds because if you talk about these topics, you're just doing the bidding of a hostile foreign actor, so don't talk about those topics. Guys, do you, see, do you now see what all of us were screaming about for so long? Like, I know some people were skeptical for a longer amount of time. I would have thought that when the Mueller report came out, people would have realized, okay, well, you know, we were right. Um, but at this late date with a story like this, you don't see it. All the weasel words. By the way, the other thing you heard was some say with high confidence that this is what's happening. So in other words, high confidence means high confidence means no evidence. It's a Russian scheme to question Joe Biden's mental health. I love how much they think you're the biggest idiots on the planet. They really do. Because, I've, I mean, we've shown you the compilations of Joe Biden struggling. Are you, like, is, is the claim that that's all out of bounds and you cannot acknowledge the reality that he's been struggling sometimes? I mean, I guess, yes, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to say that whole topic is out of bounds. You can't touch it, even though it's so obvious and so clear. So obvious, so clear. Do I think it's the biggest issue in the election? Of course not. Of course not. Do I think Trump is also struggling to some extent? I do. I definitely do. But you can't, this game is ridiculous. We just saw it again the other day when it came to Black Lives Matter. It was a CNN host. Dana Bash, I think they call her Dana and not Dana, whatever. And she was talking to Adam Schiff, one of the biggest Russia gators, and they were saying, is Russia fanning the flames of race relations in this country and making it really bad? Again, it's an attempt to obfuscate, deflect, change the conversation. Change the conversation. Because you can't just say, hey, we do have a race problem in the country. We do have... The state is killing too many unarmed black people. Can't say that. We've got to find a way to pawn off responsibility elsewhere. Russia. Russia wants you to talk about this. So are you going to do their bidding? I guess you're going to do their bidding. Same with Joe Biden's mental health. It's a Russian scheme to question Joe Biden's mental health. Not like a thing that anybody with a functioning brain and eyes would do. Again, I'm not saying it's the biggest issue of the election. I'm not. But for God's sake, don't tell me I can't discuss that which is obvious. And that's what they're doing. That's what this is an attempt to do. And it's a shitty attempt to do it, too. Because I think on some level they know how ridiculous it is, which is why they had to couch it. Oh, the Department of Homeland Security held back a memo that said maybe Russia is trying to get... They have high confidence 
What a joke, man. They're really, they really think you're idiots, and they really think this will work. That if we just say it's a Russian scheme to question his health, then nobody will question his health anymore. They really think we're all idiots. It's amazing how the propaganda is way more brazen than I ever thought it would be. It's just such a slap in the face. And especially if you follow this stuff closely and you followed it for a long time, it's really astounding the things they're willing to argue. All right, guys. We are done. I love you all. Again, everybody stay safe out there. Um, And I will talk to everybody very soon. I'll be seeing Corin. I haven't seen him in a long time. I'll be seeing him soon. So happy days for that. Very excited. I'm out, y'all. Peace.